Thank you for joining us. Um, you can't see me, but I am Heidi Sewell, and I am the um, Executive Director of the Cannabinoid Medicine Studies. And I'd like to welcome you all to our first um, inaugural cannabinoid educational series with Dr. Adam Abadili. Some of you probably already know him, because if you're graduates of our classes, um, you're familiar with him, but he is a board certified surgeon and he is a gastroenterologist. And he will be um, just touching base on the, some topics tonight about the COVID-19 and then we will be opening it up to questions from you guys. You know, you can touch base with him. And, you know, that's, that's why he's here. So I am going to let him take that over and we'll get this uh, call started. All right, well, uh, good evening, everyone. It's uh, on the East Coast, it's currently 8.30. On the West Coast, it's 5.30. So you guys have sunshine probably still, and we've been in the dark for a couple hours now. But um, either way, it's uh, great to be back with you all. I hope that you have learned a lot uh, from the courses, and hopefully you're able to be able to apply them to real-life uh, interactions with you know, your patients, your consumers, families, friends, and your own personal uh, use as well. Um, before we get started, uh, just a couple of few uh, housekeeping items as well as some, some updates for you. Um, the first thing that I wanted to, to let you know is that this presentation, uh, because there are particular slides in there that have some tables, that these will, this, these will be available on the CBDIA's website for um, for the graduates um, and the members of the CBDIA. The other thing is that it's very important as we're, as we're doing this, uh, you know, remembering that, that, remember that, that we want to make sure that this experience is what you want it to be and that you're getting all the information that, that you need from this um, association and from the cannabinoid medicine studies. So having said that, your feedback is extremely important. You know, I try to put this together um, to the, you know, with the best, to the best of my ability to make sure that, you know, the message is clear and that it's applicable to, to what you have already learned and also to, to what you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, we hope to be able to get some, uh, you know, a survey out to you at some point to, to give us feedback so we can continue to improve upon these uh, seminars and uh, to get you the information that, that you need. Another thing is that one of our missions uh, through the association is to be able to start providing some valuable um, research. We're going to be sending out surveys in the future that we would love for you to be able to take part in. It's going to give us a better understanding about cannabinoid medicine in general, um, who's using it, why they're using it, um, what are the what are the best dosings that that we have? And I don't think anybody would be better at being able to give us the information we need than those of you who are are dealing and interacting with individuals who are consuming cannabinoid based uh, therapies. 
So we really would appreciate your feedback on that. And it'll be exciting for something for you all to be take part in as well. Other thing is that we're going to be continuing to have some webinars. Uh, we have a webinar coming up in July, in July 23rd, October 15th, and December 17th. All these dates will be on the website. And these webinars are going to be hosted by some of the industry experts on a variety of topics. Another thing I think is really great is that the, the, the association has put together a job board. And there's no better time right now than to um, display you know your certifications and your experiences in the field if you are looking for a job or know of anybody who's looking for a job uh, in the industry please take a look at that we also have a linkedin cbdia member um, only group which i would encourage you to take part in it uh, certainly will in the future be full of a lot of pearls particularly uh, medical pearls but also just keep you up to date of what we're doing and what's going on in the industry as a whole and um, would also just like you to take a look at our preferred partnership uh, program through the association as well, which has several benefits that go, go along with it. So, you know, when I was putting these together uh, a few months ago, I was thinking about topics. And one of the topics that I was not on my list was um, the endocannabinoid system, cannabinoid therapies with regards to the immune system. But I figured what better opportunity to understand the, a little bit more about the endocannabinoid system with its relationship to the immune system and then give you a little information on COVID-19 and, and where things stand. I, you know, one of our, one thing that we want to continue to impress upon people is that you're not giving false information. And of course, I'm sure you've heard there's false information all over the internet already regarding the use of cannabinoid therapy for COVID-19 and other viruses. And um, I want to share with you what, the, what that science um, states. So, well, uh, you know, before we get into kind of the meat of it, I also just want to take a quick moment too, just to acknowledge everybody out there who's been affected by this uh, coronavirus, which is probably everybody uh, globally. Uh, whether you've been affected um, from a health standpoint or know somebody who's been affected by a health standpoint, from a health standpoint, um, I just want to, you know, to, to acknowledge that and also want to acknowledge all, everybody who's been involved in, in care, all of our essential as well as non-essential workers, uh, you know, in these tough times. Um, you know, this, this, new, this new virus, uh, you know, it's called this novel, novel coronavirus because it's a new, new coronavirus. Coronaviruses are not new. Um, they've, they've been around forever, but this happened to just be a new uh, strain of this virus. And so what is COVID-19? Well, it's, it's a contagious respiratory illness um, that is caused by the coronavirus. Now, um, it has been named SARS-CoV-2 virus. Now, SARS means uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome, which is what we know most of the morbidity and mortality from this virus originates from. Um, we, you'll hear the term COVID-19 and you say, what does that mean? Well, what that stands for is coronavirus disease 2019 because that's when it was first discovered. So where did this originate from? Well, if, unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you, you're probably familiar that this has come from, uh, it's believed to have come somewhere in, in China, the Wuhan area. Uh, when several 
cases of pneumonia started popping up in the end of uh, 2019, and then it is believed to have spread globally uh, from there. And if you look at the United States currently, there's, we're gonna be approaching a million cases here before too much longer. What you, these numbers reported to you here were updated, um, I believe 36 hours ago. So these numbers are um, certainly sure to be higher uh, currently. This um, um, map of the United States, the areas that are uh, more densely colored are the areas that have been the most hardest affected and hit and as expected clearly they're areas with um, more significant population. So how does this virus spread because this is one question that that there's a little bit of uncertainty on and it spreads via respiratory droplets. So people say well does that mean it's airborne and the answer is that we we believe that some of it may be airborne but the majority of it is through respiratory droplets and the difference being is that Airborne viruses can travel and um, be contract, contracted from one individual to the next without uh, being carried by anything. So these are very small particles that could travel into the air where, resp where this virus mostly spreads through respiratory droplets in most of the cases, uh, saliva, mucus, so that, which is why it's so important. Everybody's talking about covering up uh, why everybody's wearing masks is because this can be spread through coughing, sneezing, or just simply talking um, in close proximity to somebody. So there, and then of course there's direct and indirect co um, contact as well, where direct contact is if you shake somebody's hand, for example, it could be passed on that way, or indirect contact if you were to say, um, touch a, um, um, a doorknob after somebody else had touched it. So. You know, one other question that I always get asked is, you know, can you be asymptomatic and still spread the virus? And what, the answer is absolutely. Right now, we know that um, uh, four out of ten cases are are um, ha have been passed on through individuals who who aren't who don't appear sick or may not get sick at all. And one of the challenging things with this virus, as is the case with most viruses, is that people can actually start to shed this virus and spread this virus before they are symptomatic, which makes it challenging. Symptoms, again, you're probably familiar with a lot of this, but there's, there's a lot of a wide range of symptoms. When, and the symptoms typically occur somewhere between two to 14 days after exposure to the virus. And the typical symptoms are fever, cough, shortness of breath, chills, uh, shaking, the muscle pains, headaches, sore throat. Um, those are the most common, and those are probably symptoms that we're all familiar with if we've ever been hit with the flu or any other viral illness. And then there's these other kind of more strange uh, symptoms that people are talking about, this loss of taste or smell, as well as a lot of skin um, eruptions and manifestations of the illness that people are starting to, to recognize. So I wanted to talk about the, our immune system. Uh, in order to give you a little bit of background, I wanted to kind of put it in context of of this virus. So first thing in order to understand this is you have to have a little bit of an understanding of the human immune system. And we, we're probably all familiar with the fact that the immune system is, uh, its main purpose is to defend our body, um, period. Now what does it defend our body against? Well, it can, it can defend this against infectious agents and that's the most common reason that people um, uh, most, most common, the most common purpose that people um, believe that the immune system plays. However, there are several other reasons that the immune system is important and it serves several other purposes. 
the immune system is, is responsible for looking for abnormal cells. So for example, cancer cells. Cancer cells are abnormal cells and our immune system has to be tuned in order to identify abnormal cells and destroy them. And, and you know, there's, there's theories out there that, you know, we're exposed to cancer cells or we develop cancer cells all the time and it's up to us to have a, a healthy immune system to be able to identify these cells and destroy them. And then also the immune system plays a role in uh, detecting foreign cells uh, or foreign particles. So a, a classic example of that is people who have transplant surgery, you know, and if you're going to receive a kidney transplant, for example, you uh, have to be able to be a good match, meaning that your body is going to recognize um, yourself versus non-self. And if you um, can't, can't do that, then you will uh, destroy um, your, your healthy um, cells or, your, or the cells that were transplanted in, into your body. And when we think about the immune system, I want to you know, keep this, um, try to compartmentalize this or get you to think about compartmentalizing it into what we call the innate immune response or innate immunity and adaptive immunity. And we'll talk about, you know, the cannab endocannabinoids and cannabinoids and why this is important. But, you know, really when, our, when you think about our innate immune system, I want you to just think about the fact that it's our first line of defense. And there's several cells here, which you'll see listed. Um, I'm going to try to pull up uh, my laser if I can. Uh, so you'll see here that there's lots of different cells of the innate immune system. And then you have cells of the adaptive immune system. And we'll go through what their roles are. And then you have these, these cells involved in the transitional phase. And what that is, is it's, it's essentially um, transitioning from a state of uh, fighting an active new infection to a transition going this way to allowing us to have the ability to fight that same infection again in the future should um, we be uh, infected with it again. And there's several different organs that, that compromise our immune system. And you'll hear of these referred to as lymphoid organs. And the reason they're called lymphoid organs is because they're home to lymphocytes, which are what our white blood cells are, which are um, some of the main components of our immune cells. The majority of our cells start in the bone marrow. And from there, the, the, our bone marrow will be directed to make um, different types of immune cells. And they will travel uh, via blood vessels throughout our body. We then have lymph nodes, which we're all familiar with, and they carry um, different lymphatic fluid, which happens to carry a lot of these cells um, throughout lymphatic vessels throughout our body. The spleen, the job of the spleen, one of the jobs of the spleen is to destroy old red blood cells um, that our body no longer needs, but it is also the home of multiple different immune cells and serves a very important immune function. And then the thymus, which is an organ which sits behind our, our, um, our chest bone here, uh, that is responsible for the production of T cells. So let's just take for, um, let's, let's go back and, and, and think about this as, a, as this COVID virus, you know, it comes, it's, it's floating around and you happen to inhale it, it goes into your lungs here, okay? The first thing that we need is we need this innate immune response, this first line of defense. Now the innate immune response, this first line of defense is pretty, is, should be um, pretty intuitive. Uh, you know, it's our skin. Our skin is a very good barrier against, a, uh, against different infectious agents. 
We have our mucous membranes, um, you know, our saliva, our nasal hairs, for example, you know, they, they're a physical barrier to prevent this virus from traveling further down into our lungs. A lot of food that we consume uh, has bacteria and viruses in it. Uh, you know, I hate to say that, but unfortunately it does. And one of the jobs of the stomach is to provide gastric acid and gastric juices and one of the, for the, one of the main purposes being to control and uh, destroy some of these agents. Of course, our tears and our saliva, and then also our bacterial, our own bacterial flora. You know, we're covered from head to toe in bacteria, the inside of our lungs, our GI tract, everywhere has bacteria in it, and they do serve an important purpose. Now, if you look at it a little closer, as, as this virus were to travel down the lungs, it then enters what we call the alveoli, which are essentially these little grape-like structures where air will accumulate. And you can see a, a picture of it here. So the, the second part of the innate immune response is to prevent the infection from spreading to the rest of the parts of our body. So the job of the innate immune response, again, the first thing is it wants to, it acts as a barrier. The second is it tries to control the infection to keep it locally. And this inflammatory response is, is a key portion of, of doing this. And of course, uh, we, we, so just, so just to demonstrate this, so when somebody inhales, this, this blue represents air. The air travels down our, our, our lungs, enters these, um, uh, these alveoli, and of course, our first line of defense is this, are these cells here, but if the virus does happen to enter into the tissue of the lungs, now we have these other cells, neutrophils, lymphocytes, uh, which will um, hopefully keep the infection at bay. And so here's a, a, a diagram of the, of the cells of the immune response. And so we have macrophages and neutrophils, and their job is primarily to engulf foreign agents. So they, so they essentially eat them. And, and once they eat them, they can destroy them. And in the process, they will send out these chemical messengers called cytokines. And cytokines then direct the rest of our immune system how to behave. So over time, um, it, these cytokines will recruit other types of cells, but then this, this virus and other viral infections can also um, come in contact with other cells such as mast cells, um, which will release histamine, um, so, which is why during allergy season, people take histamine blockers because uh, these mast cells um, can produce a large amount of cytokines, which will ultimately cause people to have the symptoms of uh, allergies. And then once, the, once these cells engulf these uh, agents or they receive chemical messengers, they send these things on to these dendritic cells, which then pass the message on to try to to have us have more pro prolonged um, immune response. So here's a very uh, you know in depth, if you will, um, uh, uh, graph or a table here showing these cells, their their different role that they play, um, and these are all cells associated with the innate immune response. And again, I put this up here, but I think it would be most important if you want to be able to take some time to look at this once it's online to go through it. Um, you can certainly uh, do, feel free to do that. So the second response, as we talked about before, the first innate immune response is to control the infection or to prevent it from entering our body. Then we have this adaptive immune response. 
And the, the job of the um, adaptive immune response is to first identify agents, uh, destroy them, but most importantly, to remember them. And this, the innate immune response happens over the course of, of hours to days, where our uh, adaptive immune response occurs over the course of days to weeks to months, and then it becomes um, um, embedded within our, our makeup so that we can identify um, the same future infection. And so the, the cells of the, the adaptive immune system they will identify what we call antigens. Now, antigens are any sort of uh, molecule, uh, proteins, which are abnormal, whether they become from viruses, bacteria, or the breakdown of them. And antigens simply stands, uh, is, is short for um, antibody generating. So these antigens will force our cells of our immune system to produce antibodies, and this will ultimately allow us to have immunity against foreign agents. The next slide here is, is, again, it's very complicated, but I want to just try, you know, you take some time going over it at your leisure, but um, I want to just emphasize a few things. So over here on the left side, we have the innate immune response, moving on to this bridging phase, which then goes on to our adaptive phase, and it just outlines some of these cells which are involved in this, but I also wanted to point to this down here. I hope you can see my pointer here that the innate immune response, we're looking at hours. So this is this line here, this axis is, is uh, time axis. So you can see four hours to, to a couple days for our innate immune response. We have this bridging phase followed by our adaptive phase, which you can see is days to weeks to months. And the, the, the cells of the adaptive immune response are made up of our memory B cells, uh, I'm sorry, made up of B cells and T cells. And there's different types of B cells. We have plasma cells, which make antibodies. And then we have memory B cells, which remember how to make these antibodies. And it's always fascinating to me to think that we could be exposed to an antigen um, or, you know, any, or any other infectious agent. And um, years later, we can still have cells floating around our system, which are able in a very short time to be able to identify identify these abnormal cells or antigens and quickly produce antibodies so we get ahead of it and we're able to fight that infection off before we develop symptoms. Uh, the the, the, the um, coordination and just the, the mere complexity of that to me has always been fascinating. Um, and then we have T cells who their, their main job is to coordinate a lot of the functions of the immune system to kill the particular cells but, and they also have memory components to them as well. So one thing that, that is a hot topic right now that you've probably heard about with relationship to the COVID virus is this whole idea of cytokines. Now, cytokines are chemical messengers that are um, produced from all of the different types of immune cells. And the job of the cytokines is to be able to coordinate um, an, uh, an infection response. Okay, so if you have an infection, you're going to produce particular cytokines. And, the, and these cytokines are not only meant to turn on inflammation and to um, elicit immune response, but they're also used to then dampen down the response. 
So this was just, uh, you know, this was just quoted from the journal Infection, just published in April, the pathogenesis and treatment of this cytokine storm in COVID-19. So what are the implications of this um, uh, for, for the endocannabinoid system? Well, we will, um, we're about, we're going to discuss that. So this is uh, a diagram is, is meant to illustrate the complexity of, of this. And so again, you look at all these cells, you've got T cells, you've got B cells, you've got macrophages, basophils, mast cells, and all these different chemical messengers are all talking to, these cells are all talking to each other via all these chemical messengers. And some of these cytokines, you'll hear them as IL, which stands for interleukins, um, IFN, which is interferon, and then TNF, which is um, a, a tissue necrosis factor. So these are all different cytokine messengers. So you can see that, that it's, a, it's a constant highway of uh, communication between all of, our, all of our immune cells in order to effectively uh, elicit an appropriate immune response. Now, why do people with COVID and other um, and other severe SARS-like responses, or just severe pneumonia for that matter, why do they get into trouble? Well, if you look here, this is a normal chest x-ray, and on, and on a chest x-ray, the stuff that's black is air, the stuff that's white tends to be, um, have fluid, it's solid, so you can see, of course, a nice, you know, your lungs, which are mostly supposed to be air, you'd expect them to be nice and, um, and, and, and dark on an x-ray. Now, if you look, compare that to a COVID patient, this is a real chest x-ray from a COVID patient, you'll see it looks very different. You have a lot of these, what we call patchy infiltrates. So what, what's happening with COVID patients is they're getting an excessive cytokine release. And that cytokine release is not being well controlled. And as a result, there is an excessive inflammatory reaction within the lungs. So think about um, if you get an infection on your hand or your arm, it'll get red, it'll get hot, it'll get swollen. The same thing will happen, and that's all a result of our immune reaction and cytokines causing um, uh, control of that. Now, if you think about that, it also, if you think about your lungs becoming swollen, uh, red, hot, inflamed, well, now this inhibits the lungs, uh, the ability of the lungs to properly expand and to properly absorb oxygen which is why you hear all the talk about people going into respiratory failure and the need to be on mechanical ventilation or ventilators. Certainly been a hot topic. Um, so, so, okay, great. So you've learned, we've learned a, just a little background here on the immune system. Well, what does this have to do with, with what we're talking about in the world of cannabinoid-based therapy? Well, one thing we know is that our immune system, as I've alluded to, requires a very coordinated balance. And a, a healthy immune system means uh, generally a healthy individual. Now, if you have an unhealthy immune system, what can result? Uh, you, you can result in an infection if your immune system doesn't prop, uh, function properly. Or on the, on the flip side of the coin, what happens if your immune system doesn't um, function properly or it is overactive. Well, that's where we start to see autoimmune um, conditions, you know, particular autoimmune conditions, inflammatory bowel disease, such as Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, rheumatoid arthritis. These are just some, some few, a few 
autoimmune conditions, which are a result of an unhealthy immune system. And it's also why cannabinoid, when we start to kind of jump ahead here, which is, which is why we are able to take advantage of a lot of the, the beneficial properties of cannabinoids in treating um, autoimmune conditions. So we'll remember again, which is very important because everybody will always see, everybody still, you know, even people that uh, um, are in uh, cannabis-based therapy oftentimes ask themselves the same question. Well, what exactly is the role of the endocannabinoid system? But remember, its job is to provide biological balance to all of our systems. And this is, uh, our immune system is no exception to that. So thinking, uh, you know, remembering back to uh, some of the courses that, uh, or to, to the course that, uh, that, we, that you may have taken on, um, on CBD in general, uh, one thing we reviewed was our natural endocannabinoid system. It's, uh, it's our natural system. And if you'll recall, there are um, several different natural endocannabinoids. Uh, the most common being anandamide, uh, 2-AG, um, but then we also have PAE, which is also uh, more and more research is starting to emerge regarding that. And one thing that you'll, that I want to point out is that this, this graph breaks things down into anti-inflammatory actions versus pro-inflammatory actions. So one cools down inflammation and one accelerates inflammation. And when I say inflammation, immune system, our immune system essentially is um, what's responsible for inflammation. So we're kind of talking about the same thing and using that term interchangeably from time to time. But one thing you'll notice is that anandamide uh, tends to be very anti-inflammatory. Uh, um, PAE uh, we're starting to see is, um, is showing promise for uh, anti-inflammatory and um, immune uh, de decrease in our immune response. Uh, 2-AG, however, you'll see kind of has a mixed. It has a pro-inflammatory uh, component, but then it also has an anti-inflammatory component. And although that may seem uh, tough to try to figure out, uh, you know, well, why and, and how does that play into what we're doing and what we're talking about? Well, again, remember the job of the endocannabinoid system. It's to try to provide balance. So we clearly have to have endocannabinoids that will help us in times when we need less inflammation but the endocannabinoid system is also dependent upon uh, endocannabinoids to help cool down or, or, or I'm sorry, or to accelerate inflammation when inflammation, uh, when more inflammation may be required. So if you look at the effects of endocannabinoids and as far as studies go on this, um, what, here's just a, um, a, uh, a table which talks about and lists different immune cells. It talks about the, the functions which are affected um, by our natural endocannabinoids and whether or not it's mediated and what receptors, what endocannabinoid receptors it's mediated by. So for example, we know that uh, you know, our, our B lymphocytes, which can produce antibodies, it can affect how um, our, our, and our natural endocannabinoids will, will um, uh, affect how uh, we produce antibodies, which types of antibodies we, we produce. Um, our B lymphocytes, um, I'm sorry, our T lymphocytes, uh, which are responsible for killing cells as well as providing memory, they, are, they have been found to proliferate uh, through activation of the CB2 receptor. 
And, um, and they've also been shown to activate um, apoptosis, which is cell death, which has important implications when these T lymphocytes are recognizing uh, cells which are infected, but also cancer cells. And we also have, uh, uh, if you look at macrophages, now macrophages are the, these initial um, immune cells of our innate, our first defense system. And what we know is that, uh, that um, the endocannabinoids can decrease um, their production of a lot of these cytokines and other inflammatory mediators. Our mast cells, which produce, produce histamine, um, these, uh, the endocannabinoids have been shown to decrease that. They've been shown to decrease uh, uh, tumor necrosis factor alpha, which also stimulates further um, um, inflammation and activity of our immune system. So just for as a brief review, um, we're going to, you know, we know that there are multiple different cannabinoid receptors in the body. And we know that um, several of them are involved in our immune system, but we're going to just, uh, you know, talk briefly about, you know, CB1 and CB2, just because we have the most data on that, um, but also because we believe that they are the most, uh, they play some of the most important roles. So if you'll recall, uh, we have, you know, two main cannabinoid uh, receptors right now, cannabinoid type 1, cannabinoid type 2. The cannabinoid type 1 receptors are predominantly found in the, in the brain and in our nervous tissue. They tend to play, with regards to our immune system, they tend to play more of an indirect role than a, than a direct role. Um, some of that just comes through um, its, uh, its ability to control uh, nervous, nervous nerve cell activity which can also drive um, the, the production of inflammatory mediators um, and inflammation in general. Um, we also know too that this, this receptor, again, just to emphasize, is, is, found, um, is not found in our brainstem, which is why people can't um, go into respiratory distress or, uh, or overdose from um, activation uh, of CB1 receptor through, through excessive THC. Our CB2 receptor is probably the most important receptor right now with regards to our immune system. Its, its main function is to provide an immodulatory, uh, immunomodulatory and an, and an anti-inflammatory role. And our CB2 receptors are expressed uh, throughout our body and um, they, are, they are found in very dense concentrations of our B cells, T cells, and macrophages. And you know, it's, it, again, this is very exciting in the grand scheme of things because uh, 15 to 20 years ago, we, we were not aware of this. And we know that when, these, when the CB2 receptor is activated, it acts as inhibitory to our immune system, so which will result in decreased inflammation. Now, these are some of the other uh, receptors um, which I, I talked about are involved in our endocannabinoid system, but also probably play a role in inflammation and our immunity to some degree. Um, just hasn't been heavily studied yet. Now, what about, so I, we talked about the endocannabinoids, those that are found naturally in our body, but what about our, uh, what about plant-based um, uh, cannabinoids. You know, what is the function that they 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 um, um, have on our immune system and our immune cells? 
Well, here's just two tables. Um, table two here uh, is the cannabinoid effects on immunity in human and animal cell cultures. So now again, you know, the, these are all preclinical studies, meaning that they're not done um, on uh, full human um, trials, but they are done in test tubes and, and uh, more bench research. But what that they have shown is that our I'm going to see if I can pull up our, my pointer here again. So, you know, what they've shown is, is again, somewhat of a mixed picture. Uh, you know, T cells in humans have been shown to, to decrease with, with the consumption of, of cannabinoids, which would infer a um, immunosuppressive effect of cannabinoids. Our, the B cells have been actually show, been shown to proliferate um, in particular human cell cultures, um, where the these other cells, which we we touched upon briefly, you can see some of some of them in the human and animal models increase, some of them decrease. And again, as frustrating as that may sound, to try to determine well what's really going on, I think it really points to the. I think it really points back to the fact that. Again, the job of the endocannabinoid system is to, is to regulate. So in order to regulate, you have to have mechanisms by which to turn the power up, and you've got to have mechanisms, mechanisms by which to turn the power down. And then that has also then been followed up in, in actual in humans uh, as well as animals in different types of, of models, which again showed this kind of mixed picture. Um, some of it correlates uh, precisely uh, with the cell cultures versus um, some of the um, more advanced or more complex um, uh, animal models. Um, but again, I, I want the reason I'm putting this on there and, and the point that I want you to, to, to take home is the fact that there is going to naturally be a mixed um, um, picture for this for what I believe to be relatively obvious reasons. Now, what about CBD in general? Um, since a lot of you are, are very interested in, in CBD or very active in, in using CBD. Well, CBD plays, I'm sorry, here, go back. So CBD plays um, a, a role in our immune system, as I mentioned, uh, about, playing, about providing balance. And we know that an unhealthy endocannabinoid system can lead to excess inflammation. This has been shown over and over again um, in, um, in numerous studies looking at people who have diseases um, which are caused by excessive inflammation. And what they found is that their endocannabinoid system is not properly tuned. And as I mentioned, our immune cells produce a lot of these um, uh, receptors. So CBD, as well as other, the other cannabinoids, can bind to our immune cells to decrease inflammation. Now, when you're looking at CBD specifically, we know that CBD does not, it has very low affinity of binding to our cannabinoid receptors, particularly CB2. So you say, well, how then is it going, if we know that CB2 receptor is what's responsible for decreasing inflammation, um, well then how is CBD actually working? Well, one of the biggest ways that it works is through blocking of these, the enzymes which break down our natural endocannabinoids. So one of the things that CBD does is that it will block this enzyme, which is just as a review for the OCTP course is called FAAH, 
which, stand, which is, uh, stands for fatty acid amide hydrolase, which is responsible for breaking down our natural cannabinoids. So clearly, if somebody has a problem um, if, or if they need stimulation of their CB2 receptors for immune, for immune purposes, for example, well, for those that say, well, CBD is not going to do anything because it doesn't bind to the CB2 receptor directly, that's actually um, true. But, uh, but, um, um, but, but the way it ultimately works is that it, it will actually increase our natural endocannabinoids to bind to that CB2 receptor. It has also been shown that CB2 helps decrease the cytokine release. We talked about that cytokine storm and how it causes uh, inflammation. And then CBD in and of itself can also decrease inflammation by inhibiting um, the production of um, toxins in our system. These what we what are these reactive species. We have reactive oxygen species and reactive nitrogen species, which can destroy um, our tissues. They can destroy our DNA. They can re really wreak havoc uh, on our system. So. We're going to just, well, I just have a couple more slides here, and, and I think this is some of the biggest take-home messages. You know, we have, in our cannabis clinic, we have had um, multiple, multiple questions surrounding the use of cannabinoids during this COVID-19 pandemic. And so I want to I just share with you some of the most common questions that, that we've been asked and um, try to give you some insight because I can imagine you're probably going to be asked a lot of the same questions. So the first one that we get asked is, can cannabinoids help those infected with COVID-19? The answer is that we don't know yet. Um, having said that, uh, theoretically, uh, knowing the, the fact that a lot of this has to do with this cytokine storm, and maybe some people having an overactive immune response uh, that, that, we, that, that it certainly is promising. Um, uh, there are actually studies right now in Israel which are actually looking at this. Um, there's, uh, there's some actually pretty interesting studies, some kind of smaller studies that are looking at COVID uh, patients um, who have become infected and, and randomizing them into inhaling CBD versus not inhaling CBD. And, uh, you know, clearly Israel is, uh, is ahead of us when it comes to a lot of their ability to perform trials like this. Right now, it would be very challenging to get approval for a trial like that in the United States, but I'm glad that somebody can. So that'll be interesting to see what happens. There's another trial that's going to be utilizing um, CBD for respiratory symptoms. Um, again, probably focused on the idea of trying to see if they can cool down some of this inflammatory response. And some of the and clearly there has to be, there's enough interest in this or there's enough science behind this that people clearly want to study this. And this is um, demonstrated by the fact that there is a, a pharmaceutical company, Inacan Pharma, in, um, in Israel, which has uh, partnered with the Tel Aviv University. And they are looking at um, utilizing uh, uh, CBD uh, to treat the coronavirus by using something called uh, exosomes. And what they're what they're doing is that their exosomes, when our cells reproduce um, or our stem cells uh, grow, we, we produce these small cellular structures called exosomes. And exosomes can be used as carrier agents. So they're actually using these exosomes, putting CBD in them uh, through some proprietary technology, I can imagine. 
then they're infecting, they're going to be uh, using these with infected cells with COVID to see what effects CBD might have on these infected viral cells. So fascinating research, and this is going to help us answer some of those questions, but for right now, the long and the short is that we simply don't know if patient, if, if cannabinoids could truly help uh, uh, infected patients. And, and this shouldn't come as any surprise, you know, studying this is hard enough. And, you know, as if you're familiar with what's going on with um, all the debate regarding hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, you'll see the same, same thing, you know, to, really what it takes are large trials to figure this out. The second question that we've been asked is, can cannabinoids help decrease the inflammation associated with this COVID-19? So can it calm this cytokine storm? Well, clearly the, 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 the bench research and uh, the science around it would support that, it, that there's promise for this, but we're going to have to just follow these trials. Uh, some of these studies in Israel, we'll see. And, and I think it's going to be safe to say that if patients show improvement um, um, in their respiratory symptoms or progression of their respiratory symptoms with the use of CBD or other cannabinoids, well, we will, this is probably going to be mediated through the cytokine storm. So I think, uh, I think it's, again, it's promising, but we'll just have to see what, what the trials are going to show. Um, another question uh, that has come up is, what if a consumer of cannabinoid therapy became infected with COVID-19? Should they discontinue um, their cannabinoid therapy? Uh, very difficult question to answer. Um, fortunately, we haven't had any of our patients who tested positive, but several patients who have uh, preemptively asked us this question. And the first thing that I always, that, that uh, you know, we always have to think about, um, you know, particularly as a physician is, you know, according to our, our Hippocratic Oath is first do no harm. And first of all, by doing no harm, we have to tell them that we don't know the exact answer to that just yet. But um, my current recommendations are based upon what their indication is for use. And so if somebody has a condition that, that they're utilizing it to, uh, that, that is very effective for, well, it's going to be a very personal decision to make. Um, and clearly, if somebody was using this for a symptom that, that they, they found it to be very beneficial for, that has really improved their quality of life, I'm telling them that there's no reason to stop or discontinue their CBD or their other cannabinoid therapy. Um, having said that, you know, of course, there's, we always have to discuss the route of administration, inhalational versus other routes of administration. Well, um, I'll show you in the next slide some of, uh, some of the discussions regarding the inhalational route, um, um, but you know, certainly if somebody was having a respiratory problem um, it would, I would be, I'm still a very hard uh, pressed to be able to tell somebody that sure continue vaping or smoking uh, cannabis. So I'm currently discouraging, uh, you know, if, if uh, I'm telling our patients that if they do get infected with COVID-19, if they feel that they need to consume CBD or other cannabinoids, that to consider switching to um, a non-inhalational form, although that's debatable and I'll show you some uh, what's come out about that. And um, the last is, should those consuming cannabinoids discontinue them during the pandemic? And, and the answer is no, there's no reason to, uh, to, to, to discontinue during this pandemic. Um, however, again, I would, uh, I, I, with the caveat being that if, if the preferred route of consumption currently is 
smoking or, or uh, vaporization that um, to be uh, you know, mindful of that and to consider alternative routes. So um, th this question has been asked uh, you know, multiple times. And, and uh, in fact, uh, this was in April 5th of 2020. So just a few weeks ago, the University of California, San Francisco actually added smoking and vaping nicotine and cannabis to their COVID-19 triage protocol. Meaning that if when patients came in to be evaluated for COVID, uh, one of the questions they were asked is if they vaped, vaped or smoked nicotine or cannabis. And if they did, they were placed into a higher risk um, um, uh, cohort. Now, having said this, now after that, now here 11 days later, the FDA uh, admitted that there's actually no evidence uh, vaping makes COVID-19 worse where this agency had previously stated that, that uh, those who vape were at an elevated risk of developing complications tied to COVID. So having said that, I would say that, uh, you know, uh, we, either, right now we have some evidence that it probably uh, doesn't increase risk, but we have some evidence that it may increase risk. So again, erring on the side of caution and maybe encouraging people to um, avoid some inhalational forms, right, for the time being, maybe in, um, the safest thing to do, okay? Um, and March 25th, the International Association of Cannabinoid Medicine put out a, um, their kind of formal statement on this. Um, and I think that uh, if I could get my cursor to work here, I need to move some of my stuff here. I think it makes most sense just for me just to read this uh, to you. Um, part of my screen's cut off, so I'll try to, uh, I'll try to read it, but uh, I just want to read that to you. So it says, several laboratory studies suggest that cannabinoids may have antiviral and antibacterial effects. We have reported on this repeatedly in the International of Cannabinoid Medicine Bulletin. However, there is no evidence that individual cannabinoids such as CBD, CBG, or THC, or other cannabis preparations protect against infections such as the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus or could be used to treat COVID-19, the disease produced by this virus. Also, there is no evidence that the use of cannabinoids could increase the risk of viral infection. Please do not pass on false information that is circulating on the internet, help contain the spread of the virus by following government and health authority guidelines. So I think that that you know, um, provides a very good, concise summary um, if you had to, you know, answer the question in, you know, 20, 30 seconds or less, try to find ways to paraphrase that would be, um, a good way to do it in a, uh, very succinct, um, manner. So, um, I did not, uh, I want to open it up to questions. I did not, um, get a chance to, um, look over some of the questions yet. I do have some, but I'm going to try to pull them up here. And I know that you have the ability to submit them and I will, do my best to address them. Now, if I do not, um, um, I will sure we'll have a list here and, um, and I will uh, do my best to get back to you via email. Um, we can you can coordinate through Heidi uh, to get any questions to me via email. Because again, we want this to be um, a good ex uh, experience for you and to get all your questions, make sure all your questions are, are answered. Um, there was a, a question here uh, that was um, from, from one of the uh, participants. 
And uh, it's a great, I think it's a great question. And the reason um, it's a great question is because it focuses on one of the things that we need to continue to push in this industry, and that is the safety and making sure that you don't have, uh, um, that we're not doing anything to harm anybody. So we've heard about these medications, hydroxychloroquine, and I'm gonna paraphrase the question just to put it in context for everybody. So we've heard about hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin being used to treat um, COVID-19. Now, a lot of medications, including these particular medications, can, can uh, cause something called a QT, um, a prolonged QT interval. Now, what the heck is that? Well, what that is, is that our heart, uh, if you're familiar with EKG tracings, they have um, different components to them. And uh, the QT is a time length of our electro, electrical conductivity within um, the impulse of our heart. And several medications have um, been shown to prolong QT intervals, and that can have implications um, for individuals who are uh, susceptible to, um, uh, to arrhythmias. So the the question is that, that came is that there was some uh, data surrounding um, the fact that THC might be able to prolong QT intervals and might that and might CBD uh, do the same thing. So therefore, if individuals are taking some of these medications such as hydroxychloroquine or azithromycin, um, uh, which can potentially cause prolonged QT intervals and subsequent heart arrhythmias, should they not take THC or CBD or any other cannabinoids, um, could they potentially prolong the QT interval as well and have a cumulative effect and cause someone to have an arrhythmia? So great question because again, it focuses on what we need to continue to push in this industry is safety, safety, safety. And so what I will tell you is that there was some very early data that had some questions uh, regarding whether or not um, uh, um, THC can prolong the QT interval. Uh, this has been studied subsequently, and there has been a few review articles that have looked at that. And to answer that question, um, there is no evidence currently right now that THC or CBD will prolong a QT interval and make somebody more susceptible um, uh, to, uh, um, um, uh, to an arrhythmia. Now, having said that, you know, THC uh, specifically, however, can have some potential cardiovascular risks associated with it. And the way that that, what happens there is that when, when people consume THC initially for even just a few minutes in some cases, people, it can cause vasodilation of our blood vessels. So if our, if our blood vessels in our arms, our hands, our legs dilate, they're gonna store a lot more blood. Now, what is that gonna require our heart to do? It's gonna require our heart to work harder so one of the current contraindications to pay people taking THC is if they have unstable heart disease. Now that's purely theoretical because no studies have ever shown that you're at increased risk for um, significant what we call demand ischemia uh, with use of THC, but I will tell you that CBD is not associated with that. So, um, so CBD has not shown to have any significant detrimental effects on our cardiovascular system. Um, so I'm going to try to cover some of these other questions. One question here is, 
um, uh, regarding the COVID-19 chest x-ray. And the question is, is the white, are the white areas mucus or are they water? And the answer is that uh, it, it's a combination of all of the above. Uh, it's a lot of water because um, inflammation, this excessive inflammation uh, will uh, cause uh, leaky capillaries. And these leaky capillaries will cause water proteins and other substances to enter our lungs and cause our lungs to have that bruising. So um, again, just remember that uh, white, you know, white means that it's a dense sub substance on x-rays and uh, the dark is, is air. Looking for some more questions here. So one question uh, here, um, uh, I'm not sure if I'll be able to answer it properly. You can certainly uh, you know, text me or, or message back here just so I can make sure I'm answering your, your question uh, properly. And the question is, do you believe that CBD could enhance the effects of COVID-19? So I'm gonna make the assumption that by enhancing the effects that you mean that it is um, a causing a worse response. Um, and the answer is that, is that we, we don't know, but, but the fact that um, it has been so far determined, at least um, some of our governing bodies have said that people who are vaping, um, CBD and other cannabis products are not, should not be placed in a higher risk uh, category right now, then I think it's probably safe to say that it probably does not. However, Remember that we are all genetically very different. We talk about this idea of having genetic polymorphisms. The same way that there's a whole bunch of people walking around right now that are asymptomatic from this disease, but yet have contracted it. And then some people uh, contract the disease and, and, and unfortunately die from it shows that we are all genetically very, very different. So it's certainly possible that in some people, um, depending upon what their uh, genotypes are and what their receptors are like and how they respond, that it's certainly possible, I suppose, that CBD could make uh, the disease worse. Um, but, um, but right now we don't have any evidence to suggest that it makes any viral illnesses worse. I think right now we are, um, I don't see any further uh, questions. No, I, so, think we're, I think we're good, Adam, you've got them all. Oh, oh there's one more. Can you say in the Q&A portion? Um, Let me put it in the chat for you. There you go. Okay, just give me a minute here. Okay, so um, the question comes from uh, from one of the uh, from one of the participants regarding. Um, uh, and again, I'm just going to try to paraphrase this. So an individual who has severe asthma, you know, they've, they've had um, such bad asthma that they've been intubated. They've had required mechanical ventilation uh, before in the past uh, due to something called ARDS, which is acute respiratory, which stands for acute respiratory distress syndrome. 
Um, and there are, and uh, this, this individual uh, currently takes um, a medication which is designed to suppress uh, one of our immune cells called um, eosinophils. And so these, this medication is designed to decrease uh, the eosinophil uh, activity. Um, this individual is currently taking uh, CBD uh, in the form of a, of a gel cap. Um, and the question is, would CBD have a different effect on the inflammation system, do you think, worse during this time? Um, and so, in other words, somebody who's on a medication um, already to suppress the eosinophils, uh, which are a unique um, type of immune cell um, within our innate immune system, um, would that make that worse? And, uh, and so the, the answer right now that I would tell you is that it's very unlikely um, that it would have a different effect because that medication um, is a targeted medication and uh, you know, specifically for eosinophils can have some activity on other immune cells as well. But if you've currently been, um, uh, if, if, you've currently, if someone's been currently been taking that uh, medication that is seen as somewhat of an immunosuppressant and they're doing well with CBD and they haven't experienced increased infections, then at that point in time, I would, I would not discourage somebody from, from, uh, from uh, discontinuing CBD during this time or, or being concerned that it could make things worse. Um, let's see here, uh, question, um, do you think, C uh, do, so do you think CBD will work on the same inflammation um, pathway? Um, I believe if that's a follow-up question to the, um, not sure if that's a follow-up question to the same, uh, from the same um, uh, submitter, uh, work on the same inflammation pathway. Uh, I think they're going to be uh, very different pathways because, um, again, CBD is going to work through the endocannabinoid system where a lot of these other drugs um, are, you know, going to be designed. A lot of our immunosuppressant drugs that we use uh, work via different uh, mechanisms of action. Okay, it looks like that is it, Dr. Abadili. Thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. And everyone, as he said, we will send you the slides so you can go over them in your own time as well. Real quickly now, I'm gonna introduce Gracie Ella Moreno. She's the Executive uh, Director of the CBD Industry Association. So Graciela, if you can come on, we will hear some parting words from you, from you and then let everyone go. All right, I think, uh, let's see, seeing. Try that now. Okay, all right, great, awesome. Thank you, thank you so much, um, Celeste and Adam for, uh, you know, putting this on and helping us. Um, you know, uh, just wanted to say a few words about the CBD Industry Association. Um, and let everybody know what we're doing. We have a lot of good things going on. If you're not a member yet, um, I would definitely encourage you to take a look at our website uh, and um, cbdindustryassociation.org. Um, look at membership. We have a lot of great perks. I know that everybody, um, the majority of the people on here have taken a live course with Adam. 
Um, but we also have um, some additional online courses. If you've not been able to check out our website, uh, cannabinoidmedicinestudies.com. We have a few more up there. And um, we have, um, when you're a student, um, if you've taken uh, any of the courses, if, you're, if you become a member or are a member, keep in mind that you do have, um, you do get 25% off of the price of courses. So definitely recommend becoming a member, getting your discount, um, and joining our community. You'll have um, even more access to Adam uh, than you already do, but we'll, we'll have that LinkedIn group and, uh, you know, um, the job board as well, like Adam mentioned. And, um, you know, we're here to help you. We're here to serve you. Uh, so keep that line of communication open, send us some emails, send me or Heidi email. We're always here uh, to help support you and in, in your journey and continuing education. So thank you everybody for joining us and we appreciate your time. Thank you, Adam. And uh, until next time, I hope everybody has a good evening. Yes, th thanks everybody for joining us tonight and uh, be sure to give us feedback. We're here for you and uh, we want to make sure that you're getting all the information that you need. You guys are have the real world experience and uh, we want to make sure that you're doing the right thing. So thanks again and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Great. Thank you.